When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Emilites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Lord, once again on this feast day of Pentecost, we thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us comfortless, you did not leave us as orphans, you sent this helper, this comforter, the Holy Spirit, the one who fills us with the life and light and love of your presence, and we pray, Lord, that as we meditate on your word, that we could see anew, Lord, your purposes, what it is that you want for us as a people, what it is that you're calling us to together, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Welcome uh, again to St. Bart's. My name is Chris Myers. I'm one of the priests here. Um, as you may or may not know, our rector, Dave Larley, and his family uh, were sent out on sabbatical last week, and I did receive a picture as proof of life that they are actually in England. Um, it was a beautiful countryside with, like, Hereford cows and all that stuff, so it was immediately filled with jealousy. Um, it's a beautiful picture. It's all I got. No words, but they're there. So continue to pray for them um, over these weeks as they enter the season of, of rest and restoration. Uh, last week, we celebrated the Ascension, and this week we celebrate Pentecost. And it's easy um, as we move through these um, dates on the, the calendar just to treat them individually and to not see that they're deeply connected, especially this sequence of days from Easter to Pentecost, the 50 days. Um, that time right after the resurrection when Jesus walked with his disciples, he taught them, he opened the scriptures to them, and the time of the ascension when he was taken into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. And I think of ascension as Lion King Sunday. It's the end of Lion King after Simba defeats the enemies of the land. Scars vanquished, the hyenas are gone, he ascends. He ascends the rock, pride rock, and the rain starts to fall and the land begins to heal. That is a picture of what ascension means, especially in connection to Pentecost. When a king would win a great victory, he would give gifts to his people as a sign of that victory and as a way for his people to experience that victory. A conquering king would give gifts. 
And this is exactly what Jesus does. And that's what Pentecost is about. That Jesus doesn't just give us gifts, he gives us himself. He gives us the very presence and power of God, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who like Christ is one being with the Father. And don't worry, next week we'll talk about the Trinity and just sort all that out. But God gives us his very self. And I would encourage you over the course of this week, because we didn't get to read all of Acts chapter two, we just had the first part. We didn't get to Peter's sermon. I would encourage you this week to go and read what Peter says and what happens as he proclaims in the power of the Spirit what God has done in Christ and the result of that. Let me just give you a couple verses of what he says. This is from Acts chapter two, verses 32 through 35. And notice how Peter connects Ascension and Pentecost. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He ascended so that he might receive the gift from the Father and then share that gift with us, the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice what Peter does. Peter, full of the Spirit, does exactly what Jesus taught them to do over the 40 days from Easter to Ascension. He looks back to Israel's story, to Israel's scriptures, and he reads the Psalm Psalm 110, the psalm we had this morning, in light of Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of this psalm. The phrase, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So Peter demonstrates for us what Jesus had taught them to do and what we will see throughout the book of Acts is that they come to understand the story of Israel as fulfilled in Christ. In the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and his ascension and the pouring out of the Spirit, that message of his victory, what we call the gospel, radiates outward from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what Jesus told his disciples right before he ascended. What you want to know, disciples, is am I bringing the kingdom right now? I'm not going to answer that question. It is not for you to know, Jesus says, the times and the seasons but you will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you so that you might be my witnesses from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's what happened on that day, and that's still our calling, still our mission. So I wanna look at our reading today, which because you heard in many languages, maybe you didn't hear what was going on (laughs) in the reading. But I think it's important to experience that that would be quite a shocking thing if you were walking in Jerusalem and you just happened to hear someone speaking in your language and other people speaking in other languages, but you understand exactly what they're saying. It's it's an amazing thing. But I want to look at uh, verse 1 in Acts chapter 2. 
It starts with when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, arrived is a, is a good word, um, but it might be better to say when the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. Because the word here means something like to arrive as the timely moment for an event to take place. When the day of Pentecost arrived as a timely moment for an event to take place. What is timely about this moment? In other words, why did the Spirit come not only in this way, but on that particular day? That's what I want to talk about today. I want to look at the fulfillment of Pentecost, what Pentecost is in Israel's story, because it's not called Pentecost after it happens. It was a feast for the Jews. Why did the Spirit fall on that day? Jesus didn't tell them when the Spirit was going to fall. They didn't know it was going to be 10 days after he ascended. They were just praying and waiting, and it happened to be that day. But it's not an accident. It's a timely moment for an event to take place. So I want to talk about three things in Israel's story, in the, the scriptures, in the, what we call the Old Testament, that Pentecost fulfills. First, this period of time was a festival called the Festival of Weeks or the Feast of Weeks or what would be called later the Festival of the First Fruits. It was after the people of God were delivered as slaves out of Egypt that God said, okay, I'm gonna give you Passover as a feast, but I'm also gonna give you this feast because you're not gonna be slaves anymore. Y'all are going to farm land. And you're gonna take the produce of that land, the first fruits of that land, the first fruits of that harvest, and you're gonna offer it to me, and it's going to remind you that you weren't just delivered to be delivered, but that you were delivered into the land to fulfill your purpose. How is Pentecost a fulfillment of the Feast of Weeks? On one level, the nature of the feast itself meant that people were flooding to Jerusalem, that the Jews of the diaspora, those who had been flung to the corners of the earth because of the exile, were gathered back to Jerusalem. So it's a timely moment in just on that level. On a practical level, there are a lot of people around to see and to witness what was happening. But even more than that, these that heard the words and saw the power of the Spirit, they come to believe what Peter said. What he proclaimed as good news, they accepted. And they said, what do we have to do to be saved? And he tells them, and 3,000 people are added to the number who believe in Jesus that one day. That is the first fruits of the harvest. They are the first fruits of the harvest that God intends for all of creation. Remember, it's outward from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. The feast of weeks is fulfilled because we see the first fruits of the harvest of salvation in the power of the Spirit. Secondly, Pentecost celebrates the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So the feast, that cycle of feasts in the time of Jesus and the couple hundred years before Jesus came, what's called the second temple period. In that period, this feast also became a celebration of when God gave his law to his people. Again, you have to remember the story what happened on Passover? 
God's people were delivered out of slavery, out of bondage, out of a kingdom of darkness. They were set free. But that wasn't the end of the story. God brought them to this mountain, Sinai, so that they might worship him, so that they might enter into covenant with him, and so that they might learn what it is to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what it is to love their neighbors as themselves. Again, that's how Jesus summarizes the law. God gives the law. We think of it as the Ten Commandments. We think of the first panel of how do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We think of the second panel, how do we love our neighbors as ourselves? God gave that law, and he called his people into covenant with him, and he says, I want you to be a holy people. I want you to be a nation of priests. I want you to fulfill a vocation. Because I'm blessing you, I want you to bless others. But that's not what happened. (laughs) If you've read enough of the Old Testament, you know it's a cycle of fall and repentance and coming back to the Lord. So on this day, when the people of God are remembering that God gave the law, the spirit falls. And he falls with the symbols and the picture and the manifestation in the way that God fell on Sinai. Fire, wind. These symbols are powerful reminders that God is coming to constitute a people, to give them a mission. And what's different on this day is that he's going to do it from the inside out by the power of the Spirit. Remember what Jesus said in our gospel reading, the Spirit has been with you, but now he will be in you. So the wind comes, the breath of God, the creative power of God, it sweeps over them as it swept over the mountain of Sinai to fill them with new life. And this is a moment of new creation, of new life, constituting a new humanity, men and women filled with the Spirit of God. What does Peter say? Joel, the prophet, what he said is fulfilled, that the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh. Men, women, young, old, slave, free, all nations, all peoples, all places, all times. The wind sweeps through, the fire comes. And it's not just a pillar of fire on the mountain, it is pillars of fire over each and every head. Because that is the symbol of the presence of God. Not just in a location, but in us. The Spirit is poured out, pillars of fire. The promise of the Spirit is the promise And this is what the prophets say, is that hearts of stone will become hearts of flesh. The promise of the Spirit is that the law of God is not abolished, but that it becomes written on our hearts. Our hearts become fleshly tablets on which God writes his law. And remember, what is that law for? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. As Jesus told his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But God has empowered us from within to do that. The promise of the Spirit, again, is that the law would be written on our hearts, and God constituted a people, and we call that people the church. The body of Christ, those whom the one Spirit knits together into one body. 
that he takes all of us and he knits us together by the power of his spirit into one body. And that's so hard to see sometimes. <laughs> but I was thinking about it this morning, even just on a, on a very small level, and it's not actually small because it's worship. But it takes so many people to pull off what we do here <laughs> every Sunday. And so many people doing so many different things, setting the table, lighting the candles. I was up on a ladder this morning putting that banner up so that we would have fire banner for Pentecost. The musicians, the greeters, the people putting out signs, making coffee, the prayer teams, different gifts working together in unity for the purpose of manifesting the love of God to others. That's how the church, on a local level, becomes a picture of this reality. And I say that because I readily acknowledge that the church can be a loaded term for a lot of us. I heard a theologian say on a podcast that for her, one of the harder parts of the creed to say right now is, I believe in the church. Oof. I believe in the church. Are you sure, God? Can we strike that one from the creed? But the sense is of unity and diversity together is essential. And when we start to say, as, as Paul says, and this is an encouragement to me because one of the first letters he has to write is 1 Corinthians. And they immediately get it wrong. And he has to remind them that they are one body made up of many members with many gifts and that one person with one gift is not meant to despise another with someone else's gift. That they all work together. That the eyeball can't say to the toe, why aren't you an eyeball? The temptation then as now is to rank things to say that some are better than others, to forget that we need all the gifts working together as a picture of unity and diversity. So Pentecost is a fulfillment of the giving of the law, that the Spirit comes to write his law, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as itself on our, heart, on our hearts. And then the third way that Pentecost is a fulfillment, the, the right time, the right moment, is it's connected to the story of the Tower of Babel. What happened at Babel? One people with one language, with one purpose. Sounds great, right? Not so great. Because unity of purpose, as history teaches us, is not always a good thing. That people can unite around horrifying realities and use that as a way to crush others, as use that as a way, and the story of Babel, the phrase is, to make a name for themselves. They try to build a tower to heaven in order to make a name for themselves. They try to ascend, and God scatters the peoples. Back to the church. Sometimes in our sin, the church becomes like Babel. The Tower of Babel is the human attempt to send to make a name for ourselves. We can do that in the church. Did you know that? <laughs> and not be about Christ and his spirit and his love, but try to make a name for ourselves, to build a tower to our glory. And God says, that's not how I do things. You're trying to ascend. Let me show how you how I work. I descend. I come to you. 
Jesus descended, poured himself out, took him in the form of a slave, and then he ascended. But then God descends again in the Spirit. And this is a picture of divine humility, that God would dwell in us. Us. Have you met us? We're not the best houses, especially for God. And yet that's where he lives, in us, amongst us. We try to make a name for ourselves. God says, I'm going to make a name in and through you, the name of my people, the name of the church. The unity can happen again, but only in the power of the Spirit. The unity of Babel is a bad unity. The unity of the Spirit is a good unity that has a multiplying, expanding, embracing effect rather than an excluding effect. So, they hear the gospel in their own languages. God redeems, shows that languages and cultures matter to him. They don't all just start speaking one new language. It's in their tongues so that they can go and tell their people when they go back home in their tongue what happened, what God has done. And that is how God has worked for 2,000 years. That the gospel goes into different cultures and times and places and contexts and explodes outward. That the love of God is not located in a particular place. And it is not belong just to one language. It doesn't belong just to one group of people, one identity. It belongs to all of us. The Spirit was poured out on all flesh. Jesus told them, and he tells us, you will be my witnesses. I will clothe you with power on, from on high, and you will be my witnesses. <clears throat> the outward movement of the gospel by the power of the Spirit to take the good news to the world. That is our mission. We gather here in worship to be reminded of who we are and who God has called us to be and to be nourished by him and to be filled with his spirit and then to go into the world and to share that good news. He told his disciples to move outward from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. They were able to do this only in the power of the spirit. And it's the same for us. As they encounter new peoples in Acts, you see this in the book of Acts, the Spirit is poured out anew because God is showing them over and over and over again the reality that this is for all flesh. First, it's poured out on Samaritans. Can you believe it? They're dogs. They're worthless. We have no Congress with Samaritans, and yet the Spirit is poured out on them. Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, and the Spirit is poured out on even us dirty Gentiles. The Spirit is poured out on all flesh. By the power of the Spirit, Israel's Messiah becomes the world's Redeemer. Remember the picture that it all goes together. We're delivered out of darkness, out of slavery to sin and death, not just so we can get back to square one, but so that we can move outward in mission. It all goes together. Sinai and the Passover go together, resurrection, cross, burial, resurrection, and Pentecost go together. God has set us free. God has saved us from something, but he's also saved us for something, for mission. 
John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We have received the gift of victory as a blessing to us as a means to gather the nations to Christ. And I want to close by acknowledging two temptations, at least two temptations, around Pentecost. The first is the temptation to want to live in the upper room, to never move outwards, to only gather together to feel something, to be encouraged, that's all great, but to never move outward in mission. But the second temptation is just to treat this like some sort of historical curiosity. That God did that then, but he doesn't do that now. Well, that's not true either. We can't just live in that room of experience, and we can't also just say that's not for us. It is for us, because the Spirit is poured out on all flesh. So what I'd like us to do is to pray together. There's a prayer in your bulletin. It's a prayer for Pentecost, and we're going to have it up on the board. And we're going to pray this together. Over the course of of this summer, as we move into the season that's called Ordinary Time, we're really going to be emphasizing mission. What is it that God has called us to do and to be? How has he called us to bless East Dallas, our city, our state, outward to the ends of the earth? And we can talk and talk and talk about that, but until we have him, it's just going to be a lot of talking and a lot of activity. We need him. And we have to pray and ask again and again and again because we forget. And that's another way that we're like the people of Israel. So I'd love for us to stand together. And we're going to pray this together. You know how the liturgy works. Um, I'll pray the first line, and then you pray the second line. Everybody got it? Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your people. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Renew the face of your creation, Lord, pouring on us the gifts of your Spirit. For the creation waits with eager longing for the glorious liberty of the children of God. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your people and kindle in us the fire of your love. Amen. Lord, we pray for the power of your Spirit to come even now and to knit us together as one people, as a manifestation, Lord, of a community of faith, hope, and love, a community in which your Spirit is at work in and through us. And Lord, we ask you to fill us anew. In Jesus' name, amen.